the following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Your discretion is advised. Rock, rock, rock and his ring lots of people didn't don't he know that's not a thing king stuff is forbidden sure he has his royal serfs sure they won't desert him the rest of us see him as scurf we must animadvert him He thought his chair as top brass was a throne to sit on. He refused to move his ass when twas time to get gone. That's as bad as it can be to see the office littered, threatening democracy after all is considered. Says the charges must be dropped, but they really can't be. Indictments coming can't be stopped in spite of all his ranting. Thought he was above the law, but he clearly isn't. Thought that life's his Mardi Gras, instead he'll be in prison. Problem is he won't resign, causing much upheaval. Many times he's crossed the line from just bad to evil, subjecting members of the courts to his thinly veiled threats, adding to his list of torts. The closer to be jailed he gets, thinking that he is exempt. From a prosecution, but his hair is so unkempt. Could it be from a fusion? <laughs> If it was, it wouldn't be that he had repented, ready to enter a plea. That's not how he's oriented. Oh no, that is Don Karen <laughs> parody project. Um. Yeah, it is. Tis the season, after all. So time for silly um, uh, Christmas song parodies, I guess. All right. Welcome to a new week. It is Monday. Try as we might. Monday shows up whether we want it to or not. And, and you know, in my case, I, I could do with not. I'll tell you, I did not. Oh, Diane's asking in the chat room, did I sell any of my artwork this weekend? No, but I, ha I didn't put it out this weekend. So here's the deal. Street behind us has is, is like crazy Christmas stuff. And this weekend is it, like it all began. So I looked out. Uh, Jackson was going nuts. It was, I guess, Saturday night. And um, I'm like, what is he freaking out about? And I look out the front door and there's a horse drawn carriage going by. Seriously, filled with, you know, a family, I guess, where they start on the block behind us where they have all the lights and they go for rides around the block. So I decided I'm going to uh, put out, I'm going to put up my tent in my front yard and, um, you know, put my stuff out because I've got tons of it. And um, 
Uh, but I didn't start this weekend. I'm going to start next weekend. So I figure we got three weekends before Christmas. So we'll see. And and once I get it all up there, I will take pictures and I will share it here. So, you know, you don't have to be here locally to buy any of my artwork. Um, when I post the pictures, if there's anything you're interested in, let me know and I will, um, I'll make you a deal. All right. So um, no guests today. I know I told you that Desi Doyen was going to be here today. We were going to talk about the big um, national climate assessment that came out a couple of weeks ago. And unless you happen to be um, listening to the broadcast and the, or, and, or the green news report, or I think Chris Hayes might've covered it. Unless you heard those two things, you probably heard as much about the climate assessment as I did, which was nothing, not a word. Cause I guess climate change is not all that important. Right. Um, and now the COP28, I think it is, is going on. So anyway, Desi will, um, you know, here's the problem with getting Desi or Brad on the show is, you know, I do the show live for a number of reasons. The main reason being it's easier to do it live. I know, look, because I've been doing radio for so long, I can turn on a microphone and I can go. If I need to go, I could just go. I could fill an hour. Some days are easier than others, but I could do it. Um, and, and I know Brad and Desi could as well. However, the way they're, because they don't do a live show, they don't stream live on YouTube or anywhere else. They do a pre-recorded show that airs on a number of, of stations and is a podcast. Well, this show goes out as a podcast afterwards, but... Um, yeah, I do it live. But to do it to to do it the way they do it, you have to sort of piece it all together and it's like a puzzle. And honestly, it takes a whole lot longer. So anyway, they're busy assembling their show when I'm on the air. So anyway, this is a long way to tell you that uh my friends uh <laughs> my friends, Desi and I will sit down and tape our Wednesday interview uh, tomorrow night. So, um, yeah, so you'll hear it on uh, on Wednesday. Got, yeah, Wednesday interview and Thursday to hear it on Wednesday. Anyway, we'll tape that tomorrow. We'll have Desi here on Wednesday. Tomorrow, Will Bunch will be here. And Will Bunch, you know, he's a, a columnist at the Philadelphia Inquirer. And there are a couple of, of things I wanted to talk to him about. The reason I reached out to him was a um, his column over the weekend yesterday, his Sunday column had to do with, um, well, Henry Kissinger dying. And, and again, Will Bunch was about as sad, <laughs> sad about it as I was. But, um, you know, more about that is he said, Will said in this column that Henry Kissinger would have been happy that MSNBC fired Mehdi Hassan. And I'm glad Will Bunch wrote about Mehdi Hassan getting fired. We talked about it briefly on Friday. And, um, you know, my, my thought was that that sucks. Mehdi Hassan should not have been fired. I, 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 you know, I've been a fan of his for a long time. He's a great interviewer. And my standards are pretty high for interviewers because I think I'm a pretty damn good interviewer myself. And um, he passes my smell test. I am a tough critic. And, and, and I always appreciate Mehdi Hassan's interviews. I don't often, uh, back up, I don't always agree with him. I occasionally, and of late, more often than occasionally, disagree with him. But that doesn't mean he should have been taken off the air. Now, I don't know what reason they fired him. Uh, I don't know that, that they never gave a reason. They didn't tell us. And actually, the weird thing is, is I guess his Peacock show is canceled immediately. And, and the question is, is there a Peacock if nobody pays for it? 
I got to tell you something. Early on, when Mehdi Hassan was doing five, five shows a week on Peacock, I paid for it. I subscribed to the Peacock to get Mehdi Hassan's show. Seriously. When then, and then when they started screwing with it, I let the Peacock subscription go because it, believe me, money I did not need to spend, did not have and did not need to spend. So, um, there's that. So I guess his, his Peacock show was down to once a week, like Thursday nights. And if, and if they're saying that he was fired because of low ratings, if they're talking about Peacock, well, duh, again, <laughs> it does a Peacock if nobody pays for it. Anyway, the, um, or does it cock pee? I don't know. Uh, but, um, sorry, I guess I, I, I should never do something like that without, um, without this handy. Just saying. Anyway, anyway, uh, sorry, I've been watching Mrs. Maisel again. Uh, anyway, so, so, so Will Bunch wrote a piece about, oh, uh, the the weird thing that I was going to tell you is, so his Peacock show is done effective immediately. His Sunday night show on MSNBC, apparently, will be on for the next few weeks. So he gets a chance to say goodbye. And he will still be a guest, a pundit, if you will, and will still guest host, allegedly, other shows on the network. So I guess they didn't fully fire him. Maybe they're trying to, um, you know, make it not so tough. Anyway, I just don't understand why they took him off there. And they're going to replace him with, uh, what's his name? Uh, Eamon Mohadine? Sorry, Mehdi runs rings around Eamon Mohadine when it comes to hosting a show, um, commenting, you know, opining and interviewing. So, I, you know, obviously they didn't ask me. But here's the thing about, about, um, uh, Will Bunch's column. A- and I said to him, yeah, I agree. Mehdi Hassan should not have been fired. And there's been this great uproar about it. Funny, I seem to remember another, you know, not as big or major personality as anyone on MSNBC for sure, but somebody who's been in the business for 40 years, who was supposed to start a new show on a radio station in Los Angeles that had been in the planning stages for months and had been promoted for a month. And, and then the, the, it was canceled two days before it was supposed to premiere. And the only difference between when the show was offered to her and when it was pulled was this war and her stance on the war. Just saying, lots of press about Mehdi Hassan getting canceled, but precious little about PFK pulling the plug on my show. Just saying. Anyway, that's why I will ask uh, Will Bunch about that tomorrow. Now, I will state, Will and I have apparently differing views on this war. Um, and, and because it's a thing where people insist on restating what I believe, I find it important to restate it often. The killing sucks. And, and, and it's terrible. But I wish someone would tell me, how do you eliminate Hamas uh, without without incurring so many civilian casualties when Hamas uses civilians as shields. You know, it's that it's that catch 22 and it's horrible. Um, but, you know, even more than that, I got to tell you, there's a few um, I know to be sorry. I got a comment on Rick Smith in the chat room. He said, I love when people misspell pundit as pundit. Well, they say it that way too. Pundit. No, it's not pundit. It's pundit. Anyway, it's one of my pet peeves, you know. Yes. Anyway, um, it, uh, so a bunch of stuff went on this weekend that all relates to this. Um, first, there's, there's two issues here. One, and the one that gets me, is as a, a person of Jewish heritage and 
And I put it that way because I'm not a religious person. I don't practice any practice any religion. I'm not a practicing Jew. I'm an atheist. I've been in temple a number of times because I was born into a Jewish family and much of this religion, as I believe others as well, have to do with tradition. Go watch Fiddler on the Roof. Tradition, tradition. I should play the uh, uh, the Randy Rainbow video. That's a parody of tradition, tradition. So tradition is steeped deep within us. So, um, yeah, so there's, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on, but I got to tell you, so much of it right now is so ugly. And, and, you know, some are quick to point out the difference between anti-Semitism and anti-Israeli war Netanyahu actions. And I, I believe that there's there's a line there. But uh, here, uh, being a Jew living in America today, honestly, most people don't get it. Let me share. Let me share with you a couple of things. One, here's a, here's a news release. Um, Hanukkah celebration at Williamsburg Festival in Virginia, Williamsburg, Virginia. Hanukkah celebration at Williamsburg Festival canceled due to Israel-Hamas conflict? What? I, there, there's got to be something more here, right? Let me, let me read. A Hanukkah celebration in Williamsburg, Virginia has been canceled after concerns about the war. A menorah lighting was scheduled for the second Sunday's Art Musical Festival on December 10th. Each month, from March to December, the community event hosts artisans, street performers, and food vendors, and Jewish leaders were told that the board was not comfortable allowing the menorah lighting at the festival. Shirley Vermillion, the festival's founder, said Second Sundays are inclusive to different religions or cultures, but the menorah lighting quote, seemed very inappropriate given current events in Israel and Gaza. She said the board would prefer to steer clear of religious affiliations. In the past, she said, Christian and other religious groups asked to perform at Second Sundays, and all of those requests were denied. Somehow I don't think that's true. Hmm. Okay. Well, if that's the case, if it w- if all religious things were denied, then okay, I get it. But then why did they approve it in the first place? So the first night of Hanukkah is this week. And if I were to tell you that I wasn't worried, um, I'd be lying. So let me share this with you. So Philadelphia, there was a big in their words, pro-Palestinian, in my words, pro-Hamas demonstration. Yes, a, um, okay, a, a rally, as it were, in the streets of Philadelphia. That was a song, by the way. Streets of Philadelphia. Sorry, Springsteen. Um, but I, I'm going to pull up this video. This is just a few seconds of this video uh, as this pro <clears throat> pro-Palestinian group was marching through the streets of Philly. Okay. Do I, oh, I think I have it muted. No? Why am I not hearing it? Hold on. I have something muted. And now it's not playing. I don't know why. Um, oh, I see. I have this. What? We charge you with genocide? What? can't hide we charge you with genocide um what hold on caller um hold on one second so there's this there's this um group that that they're marching in the streets of philadelphia streets of philadelphia sorry and um 
yeah, but who are those people? What are they protesting? Is it a, is it a Israeli consulate or something? No. Is it a um, Israeli embassy or something? No. Is it, I'm trying to find the name of it. It's a deli. It is a deli. It is a Jewish deli in Philadelphia. The owner of said deli is, now I can't find the uh, original post, huh? Um, Hold on one second. Um, Yeah, here it is. Uh, A pro-Palestinian protest on Sunday in Philadelphia Center City drew swift and decisive condemnation from top Democrats on Monday, including from the White House. Yeah, you see, um, oh, Goldie, that's what they were saying. Goldie, Goldie, Goldie is the name of the, uh, is this, this Jewish deli. CBS News reported that the crowd outside the restaurant owned by renowned Israeli chef Michael Solomonov, Solomonov, chanted, quote, anti-Semitic remarks, and to face the property with free Palestine stickers. Nice. It was a deli. Yeah. Pennsylvania Governor Josh Shapiro slammed the protesters' actions in a statement. Quote, we saw a blatant act of anti-Semitism, not a peaceful protest. A restaurant was targeted and mobbed because its owner is Jewish and Israeli. The hate, this hate and bigotry is reminiscent of a dark time in history. You think? Yeah. Goldie, Goldie, you can't hide. We charge you with genocide is what those woke people were chanting in the streets. Wait a minute. The pro-Palestinians, they're the progressive ones, right? They're the woke ones. Yeah, that's what I thought. All right. Um, I've mentioned today it's no no guests, just you and me. So the phone line's open. 954-889-6410. You can Skype into Nicole Sandler. Hi, who's this? Hello? Hello? Okay. Well, that was one, two, three, you're out. Sorry. Uh, if I go to the phones and and I go to you and you're not there, I go to somebody else or, or I hang up. So anyway, um, yes. Oh, David's here. Hi. 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 I saw Wait, wrong mic. Okay, try now. No, go ahead. Can you hear me? Um, I think. Hi. Talk. Hello, hello, hello. No. Okay. Yeah, use that one. The mic set up from when when uh, Brad Desi were here. How's okay. this? Okay. Okay. I saw on Shitter. Yes. That this protest, using air quotes, yeah, was supposed to be um, initially motivated by the fact that the deli owner fired an employee for supporting the Palestinian cause, and posted on it, posted about it on Shitter. Um, and that was what caused people to allegedly ah. what caused people to show up and be okay. One other thing I'd like to offer up, if you don't yeah. mind, yeah. Um, you asked earlier about can anyone tell you a way to you know solve this problem? As somebody who spent forty four years uh, negotiating contracts, I will tell you that in order to negotiate, you have to have two willing partners, right? And it's tough to reconcile competing agendas. Mm-hmm. I have to think it's even tougher to reconcile an agenda where the person sitting on the other side of the table has an agenda where you must die. And that is where Hamas is coming from. Right. Hamas's whole reason for being is to wipe Israel off the map and kill every fucking Jew on the planet. Right. And I don't understand how you negotiate with that. That's like negotiating with a bully. And the only way to negotiate with a bully is to hit them in the mouth. And if they hit you back and you lose the fight, you lose the fight, but at least you stand up to the fucking bully. Yep. Okay. Thank you, David. Um, and yeah, this is, uh, I, I, did, did I ask that? I, I don't know. Maybe I did. I, I often don't, don't. Don't recall what I asked. But there is, you know, there's a, a few other things that happened this weekend. One is, and, and they're all intertwined, so we'll get, we'll get to it. Um, 
do I start with Liz Cheney or Pramila Jayapal? I think I do Pramila Jayapal because then it's sort of, it segues naturally. So Pramila Jayapal is the chair of the Progressive Caucus in the House of Representatives. Um, I've generally been a big fan of Pramila Jayapal's, except sometimes she tries to be a little too um, diplomatic. And uh, I'm using the word not in the sense that it's that it, it it's intended. Um, she tries to play both sides against the middle. Um, you know, she's got to be there for the progressives. And believe me, up until a few weeks ago, I, I would have said I'm as progressive as they come. Now I'll say I'm as liberal as they come. I guess I'm not a progressive anymore because I'm Jewish, I, I, I guess. Anyway, so there's been a controversy, an ongoing controversy. Uh, all right. I need to remember to turn this down when I'm about to do something else. But since it's up, I will go to the phones. Someone calling from Los Angeles. Hi, who's this? Yeah, this is Bob from Los Angeles. Hey, Bob from Los Angeles. What's on your mind? Yeah, I like some information. Uh, you said my favorite dog was attacked. What? He was attacked. Who, Who? attacked my dog? Who's your dog? <laughs> the Brown Bomber. What? What are you talking about? Double Action Jackson. Oh, my guy, Jackson. Jackson got bit. So I was out walking him. And... <sighs> Jackson, when, when we got Jackson, he was the friendliest, you know, happy-go-lucky guy. We'd go to the dog park, he'd pick up a stick and get everybody, all the other dogs chasing him around. And you know what? I was not the perfect dog park owner because I took my eyes off of him. And if you, if you take your dog to a dog park, you need to watch them at all times. I think another dog went after him and freaked him out. It's the only thing I can think of because then I'm watching him. He's playing with this other dog and he turned on her and he got really ferocious and I grabbed him. I mean, he didn't hurt this dog, but since then he's not good with other dogs. I don't know if he's protective of me or what the deal is. Anyway, I'm out walking Jackson in our new neighborhood and I pass by this house and there's a woman sitting out in her front yard with two big dogs. And she says, hello. And she's saying, oh, I'm fixing my fence. Next thing I know, her two dogs get out. And there's, okay. it's, it's a big, it's a husky and another one, another big, you know, mitt, uh, mitt mutt, <laughs> um, like Jackson, who's yeah, a pound puppy. Me. Right, right. And so I'm, I'm like, uh, he's not good with dogs. Please get your dogs. Please get your dogs. Yeah. And the woman, because she was trying to fix her fence, she couldn't get it unlatched in time to come out. Meanwhile, one of these dogs, the husky ran off. The other one got into it with Jackson and clamped down on him. Thankfully, I wear, I put a, I have a, a harness on him. I always walk him with a harness so I don't yank on his neck if I need to pull him. And the harness protected him because he got one it was on his shoulder so he had one puncture wound and the other two the other canine must have gotten stopped by the um uh the the harness but he's fine now he's good he he had a, a round of antibiotics he had a big puncture wound on his shoulder he was in pain for a few days as i could tell when i heard that yelp i my uh my heart stopped He's a good boy, isn't he? He is a good boy. He's this. He's right I can here. Tell right away. He's right here. He's 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 in the room with me. He's just sitting there quietly. But you never put him on camera. Sure, if he'll come, Jackson. Come here, Jackson. Come here. Come here. He's looking at me like what? It's my nap time, Jackson. <laughs> Jackson, come here. They want to see you. Here, I'll tell you what. I rather than him come up here. Yeah. I, I'm gonna. Okay. Sorry, don't that's get okay. seasick, everybody. No, I'm gonna show you. Because I can move the camera. Hold on. Let's see. Jackson, say hi. Let's see. Can we get Jackson? Jackson. Let's see. There there he is. Jackson. Action. Yeah. See, he's he's there. He's hiding. My my studio's still a mess. Yeah. He's he's being shy. Oh well. There was a little bit of Jackson anyway. Okay. I see him. <laughs> All right. Anything else, Bob? Yeah, I was like, I'm first I'm going, what are you talking about? And I'll say, oh, Jackson, my Jackson. And Jackson Brown. 
Jack, he's Jackson Brown, actually. Jackson Brown, actually. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm glad he's okay. Me too. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you very much. Okay. Thank you, Bob. Good to hear from you. you. Bye bye. So, you can always call. You, you can. You can always interrupt me to talk about Jackson. Now he's getting up and moving around. Now you want to go on camera, huh? All right. Anyway, back to Pramila Jayapal. So the chair of the Progressive Caucus is um, is on uh, what what what's the name of the show? The the, the Dana Bash of uh, Jake Tapper Sunday Show. I never watch it, so I don't I don't recall. Anyway, so um, it was a distressing interview. So the you know what. What time is it? All right, we got time. All right, so here's the beginning of it. Well, it's not really the beginning of it. They're going around and around and around. And what David was just talking about, both sides need to be willing to deal. And so that's where we're going to pick up this uh, interview. All right, it's it's Dana, Dana Bash. Sorry, not Dana. Dana Bash and Pramila Jayapal. This is complex negotiation and it doesn't happen unless both sides are willing to come to some kind of an agreement. That's right. how we got the both first sides. Days. That's That's a really important point about both sides being willing to come to an agreement because regardless of what has happened last week, and let's just say there is a more permanent ceasefire, you are hearing from Hamas leaders over and over again that the brutal massacre of the 1,200 Israeli civilians was just the beginning, just a rehearsal, and that yes. they want to continue over, to do it over and over again. Over so and a over again. Ceasefire would keep that brutal terrorist regime in place in, in Gaza. I don't think that's true. I think that what is true is that Hamas needs to be taken out. It is a terrorist organization. How would you do that? But I think the way to do that, as many terrorism experts have said, is to create a durable and strong coalition of allies within the Middle East, with the United States, with Israel, to make sure that we have a long-term political solution, that there is an alternative to Hamas to lead uh, in Gaza and to establish a state for Palestinians. This is, I mean, we cannot, we have to condemn what Hamas did on October yes, 7th. Yes, you must. We cannot <clears throat> allow for 15,000 Palestinians to date to have been killed, three quarters of whom are women and children, and say that that is yeah. going to help us and, in the and long the term. Morally, Dana, morally yeah. but also strategically for Israel, the only way through this is to create a situation where there is a political solution that involves a Palestinian I'm just, state. And I'm, I'm just going to interrupt here for a second and say, Pramila, how are we supposed to do that? It, it's not the United States. Um, and yeah, we've been talking, we, the United States, have been talking about a two-state solution for a very, very long time. Pramila seems to think that Joe Biden's calling the shots over there. Uh, no. Right, Dana? And an Israeli I think state. ideally what you're talking about could make sense. It's just unclear how you get from here to there. Who's going to get rid of Hamas? Hello. If there's no continued uh, war. And I think what you're relying on is um, the pressure from Arab states. And they haven't been willing to it's, do that. They haven't been willing to do that. Yes, there needs to be pressure from Arab states. And there has not been any. The Arab state, there are something like 22 Arab states in that region. There's one Jewish state, 22 Arab states, one very tiny Jewish state. But you know what? Why belabor that point? They're not going to be able to settle that. But Danabash did have another very important question. And this is one that thankfully a number of people have been speaking up about. Um, so let's see. Um, Dana, ask this question. Oops. Ask, <laughs> ask, I hope this is it. Ask this question. It's kind of remarkable that this issue hasn't gotten enough attention globally. Widespread use of rape, uh, brutal rape, sexual violence Hello. against Israeli women by Hamas. I've seen a lot of progressive women 
generally speaking, they're quick to defend women's rights and speak out against Except. using rape as a, as a weapon of war. But downright silent on what we saw on October 7th and what Surprise. might be happening inside Gaza right now to these yep. hostages. Why is that? Why is I, that? I, I mean, I don't, I don't know that that's true. I think we, we all talk about that that's the true? impact of war on women in particular. In fact, I remember 20 years ago I did a petition around the war in Iraq. <laughs> you said saying have that. Have you talked about it since oh, October absolutely. 7th? And I've oh, sure you have. what Hamas has done. You I've have. Specifically all of the Where? Absolutely. The, I haven't the rape, seen it. The, of course. But of I course? think we have to remember that... Israel is a democracy. That is why they are a strong ally. Wait a minute, of ours. that wasn't the question. And if they do not comply with international humanitarian laws, this is not law, about Israel. They what? Themselves to a place that wasn't that the question. This isn't the question, Pramila. For them yeah. to be able to build the kinds of allies to keep public opinion yeah. with them, and frankly, uh, morally, I think we cannot say that one war crime deserves another. That is not what <laughs> international humanitarian law says. Okay, with, with respect, I was just asking about the the women, and you turned it back to Israel. Yes, she did. I'm asking you about Hamas, in fact. I already answered your question, oh, Dana. Oh, really? I, I said it's horrific, and okay. I think oh, that it's horrific. rape is horrific, sexual assault is horrific. I think that it happens in war situations. Oh, you Terrorist do? Terrorist organizations like Hamas obviously are using these as tools. Mm -hmm. However, I think we have to be balanced about <laughs> bringing in it's, the... Outrages against Palestinians. Yeah. Fifteen thousand Palestinians. What we have to be Whoa! Hold, hold the phone. We have to be balanced about bringing the outrages towards the Palestinians. Did she real? She she really said that. She really said that. Um, I'm going to share with you a piece written. It's not a very long piece. Uh, but but written by a very distinguished panel of women at Slate, Slate.com, which is where Dahlia Lithwick writes for. She's one of the great legal minds in this nation. Not only did Dahlia Lithwick uh, author this, she was joined by Mimi Roca, Tamara Sepper, our friend Jennifer Taub, Joyce White Vance, and Julie Zibrak. And this was written on Friday, or published on Friday. And here's what they wrote. Of all the horrors coming out of the Israel-Hamas conflict, among the most horrible are the bar barbaric murders, rapes, sexual assaults, and kidnappings of women and young girls in Israel during the October 7th attack by Hamas. And yet, deepening this distressing event, there has been a disheartening silence about, or worse, denial of these evils. Reticence from the voices here at home in the U.S. who have, in the recent past, embraced other women who needed their support. Israeli and Jewish women find themselves isolated. For the past three decades, women have stood up for, for other women. When our sisters' bodies and dignities were targeted and violated, women and allies of all ages and backgrounds organized, supported, and spoke out. Except somehow, not this time. Since October 7th, there's been overwhelming evidence that Israeli women and young girls were not just slaughtered, but raped, assaulted, tortured, and kidnapped. This is not overstating things. From our work as prosecutors, lawyers, and feminists, we understand what it takes to build a solid criminal case for sexual assault. Here, there is voluminous evidence, more than what is typically available. While many victims cannot speak for themselves, they are either dead or being held hostage. Survivor accounts and videos made by the perpetrators themselves speak for them. Early on, Hamas circulated a video with the searing image of 19-year-old Nama Levy being dragged by her hair into the back of a truck by a group of men. I think they use the word loosely here. Her pants were bloody. Slowly, the horror dawned upon us as we watched that she had been the victim of violent sexual assault. A survivor recounted sexual violence she witnessed while hiding at the Nova rave. She said, quote, the terrorists 
people from Gaza raped girls. And after they raped them, they killed them, murdered them with knives or the opposite killed. And after they raped, they, they did that. They laughed. Another survivor saw saw terrorists gang raping a woman who was alive until she was shot in the head by a man who was still raping her when he fired. Before she was killed, the witness saw them cut her breast off. We heard from a grandmother who watched helplessly as her daughter was raped and then murdered. A combat paramedic found two young girls executed in their bedroom at least one of whom had been raped. Her pants were down toward her knees. There were semen on her back. She was shot in the head. Israeli officials are reporting evidence of widespread torture and rape as they continue the painstaking word of trying, work of trying to identify bodies, many burned beyond recognition. And I noticed the number of listeners has dropped uh, just on YouTube, but I, I guess... The truth really hurts, doesn't it? God. An Israeli non-government commission led by Koke Elkayam Levy has embarked on a grassroots initiative to assemble a comprehensive database of the sexual sexual violence cases from October 7th while offering trauma care to survivors and witnesses. And Physicians for Human Rights Israel, a group dedicated to advocating for the health care rights of patients with limited access to the Israeli health care system, including migrants, refugees, and Palestinian residents of the West Bank and Gaza, recently issued a position paper that calls on the International Criminal Court to investigate the sexual terrorism Israeli women experienced on October 7th as potential crimes against humanity. While time will tell whether October 7th will receive its due international legal scrutiny, the muted response from women's groups is unacceptable given the abundance of evidence. If survivor accounts, tortured bodies, and videos of attacks aren't enough evidence, then no case would ever be prosecuted in a court of law. Such evidence of depravity typically galvanizes global action and demands for justice. Women's groups should rightfully be demanding prosecution. Beyond the courtroom, the evidence of what happened to women and girls in Israel far surpasses what has sparked women to come to the aid and support of other women in other situations. Historically, women have been at the forefront of advocacy. And it goes on with some history, goes on to Christine Blasey Ford and Brett Kavanaugh. And when the court overturned Roe v. Wade again and again, we have demanded that women be believed because we know that all too often women's stories are unfairly questioned and ignored. But the expected outrage, they write at Slate, hasn't happened here in the U.S. or abroad outside of Jewish groups. Some international organizations quickly issued statements about the heartbreaking suffering in Gaza, but are resolutely mute regarding the atrocities against women in Israel on October 7th. Worse yet, we have heard denials or sentiment that the victims deserved it. Uh, Sorry, someone's calling my phone. Um, uh, Victims deserved it? Are you kidding me? We would not tolerate victim blaming in other cases of violence against women. Compassion for Gazan women and children is vital, but it should not negate compassion for victims on the Israeli side of the border on October 7th. Sexual violence should be abhorrent to all of us, no matter who it's perpetrated against or where they live. The victims of the October 7th attack stand excluded from the world sisterhood in the face of overwhelming real-time documentation, murmurs of support are few and far between. We must ask ourselves from a place of empathy, empathy for all who suffer. Does our outrage about rape and abuse depend on the identity of the perpetrator and the victim is rape acceptable, even justifiable If the victims live in a nation whose policies you disapprove of? 
can we blame these victims, many but not all, not all of whom are Israeli, for what happened to them? If the answer to these questions is no, as it should be, then we must all speak out about the violence, no matter who it is perpetrated against or where they live. To express moral outrage and legal horror at the offenses perpetrated on women in Israel is not tantamount to approving the governing Netanyahu coalition, nor does it signal support for the bombings in Gaza. It is simply to assert the long-standing feminist argument that our bodies are not to be weaponized in global conflicts. Acknowledging these atrocities does not diminish the suffering of Palestinian women in Gaza. It is essential to reaffirming our shared humanity. What is not, what, what do they not get about that? And again, Pramila Jayapal said, what? I'm asking you about Hamas, in fact. I already answered your question, Dana. I I said it's horrific, and I think that rape is horrific, sexual assault is horrific. I think that it happens in war situations. Terrorist organizations like Hamas obviously are using these as tools. Mm -hmm. However, I think we have to be balanced about bringing in the outrages against Palestinians. 15,000 Palestinians have been killed in Israeli airstrikes. Okay, there's one clip where I'm not finding it, where um, I wonder if it's at the end of this one. Did I cut her off too soon? Quarters of whom and it's, are women and children. And it's horrible, but you're, you don't see Israeli soldiers raping um, Well, Dana, I think women. we're not. No, and it's horrible, but you don't see Israeli soldiers raping Palestinian women. So that happened. And yes, Pramila Jayapal is getting called out, and rightfully so, across all quarters. Um, you know, there's there's a group, uh, part of the UN. Let me see if I can't find this article, because um, if you think that was disturbing, this one's even worse. Um, so the group is called UN... Um, it's a UN agency, UNRWA, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestine Refugees. Over the weekend, this agency slammed a recent a testimonial from one of the hostages released by Hamas. So a guy named Almag Boker, he's a veteran Israeli broadcaster and host on Channel 13 in Israel, hit back at the organization. Last week, Mr. Boker reported that, quote, one of the abductees held for nearly 50 days in an attic reveals he, it's a man, was held by a, uh, a teacher for the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, an UNRWA, UNRWA teacher, a father of 10 children. This teacher locked the victim away, barely provided food and neglected medical needs. But wait, there's more. Another abductee was held captive by a doctor, a Gazan doctor who simultaneously cared for children. These are not isolated incidents. These civilians are terrorists. This is, again, I'm reading direct quotes from this Israeli journalist. Um, uh, Present at the Saturday massacre, they're now revealed as integral to holding hundreds captive, including women and children. This was from a a post that Boker made on Shitter, detailing some of his recent reporting. Uh, The UNRWA responded to the report with a statement demanding this journalist release more information. Quote, UNRWA has been following the traction of a post by an Israeli journalist on the social media platform X. The post claims that there is an alleged connection between an Israeli hostage held in Gaza and an UNRWA school teacher. The journalist did not provide more information on this claim. The statement began adding that they request the journalist provides an immediate clarification of the claims and that whoever may be able to assist us in determining the facts comes forward. In the absence of credible information to support this claim, UNRWA requests that the journalist immediately deletes the post. 
Making serious allegations in the public domain unsupported by any evidence or verifiable facts in support thereof may amount to misinformation. This journalist was reporting directly from words from former hostages. Uh, The reporter hit back and said survivors of Hamas captivity are beginning to share their stories. One of them testified he was held hostage and starved by an UNRWA teacher. That's not an allegation. That's survivor testimony and more testimonies are coming. While Hamas holds 136 Israeli hostages in Gaza, I can't share information that would endanger them or identify the survivor. I hope UNRWA treats this more seriously than Hamas's theft from its stocks and abuse of its civilian facilities for terror activities. And UNRWA is basically saying that this journalist was lying. UNRWA probably needs to be dismantled. If if an agency of the United Nations will take the side of the terrorists over a journalist without demanding proof from the terrorists that they didn't do this, there's a problem there. There's a big problem there. There are a lot of problems there. All right. And the few minutes we have left, I want to get to this today because uh, Liz Cheney is going to be on Rachel Maddow's show tonight in case you hadn't heard, but she did make some of the weekend rounds. And um, there's a show, there's CBS Sunday Morning that I like to watch because it's good. It used to be Charles Osgood and now it's Jane Pauley. It was better with Charles Osgood. But anyway, they run a lot of stories that you, you don't get anywhere else. Most of them are not political and they're, you know, musicians and other things. This time Liz Cheney was on. She'll be on Rachel Maddow's show tonight, in case you hadn't heard. All right, so um, uh, they go in. Liz Cheney's a conservative. We all know that. Uh, Here, let me just play a few clips for you. Here we go. You once used to say that nobody could challenge your conservative credentials. What if being a conservative today is defined by one thing, your support for Donald Trump? Well, I know what conservative means, and I think that the most conservative of all conservative values is fidelity to the Constitution. So, you know, there certainly are people today who are caught in this cult of personality, but that's that's the opposite of conservative. It is the opposite of conservative. Well, today's Republican Party is the opposite of conservative. I believe Liz Cheney's conservative and today Donald Trump isn't. You know, to be conservative, you have to have convictions. He'll be convicted but has no convictions. Well, not yet anyway. All right, more. In the aftermath of the January 6th, 2021 attack on the Capitol, Cheney was one of only 10 House Republicans who voted to impeach Donald Trump. Soon after, she joined the democratically led committee to investigate the attack. Tonight, I say this to my Republican colleagues who are defending the indefensible. There will come a day when Donald Trump is gone. But your dishonor will remain. Ooh, I remember that. You remember that, right? Well, um, you know what? She goes off, talks about the difference between pre-2020 and post-2020 Republican batshit crazyism. And then they get to the really important part. This is fascinating. So when Liz Cheney wrote this book, Mike Johnson was not yet speaker. Check this out. Cheney's book also details the groundwork laid by Trump's allies in the weeks leading up to January 6th. In the book, you spend a fair amount of time on a previously relatively obscure Louisiana congressman. This is Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson. Mike and I were uh, good friends. Of course they were. What I learned was that, in fact, he was operating in a way that was was dangerous. Shocker. It was dangerous because what Mike was doing was taking steps that he knew to be wrong, doing things that uh, he knew to have no basis in fact or law or the Constitution. And Mike was willing 
time and again to ignore the rulings of the courts, to ignore what state and federal courts had done and said about the elections in these states in order to attempt to do Donald Trump's bidding. So he was asserting not only facts for which he had no evidence, but which the courts had already ruled had no merit. Right, exactly. We asked Speaker Mike Johnson for comment. His office tells Sunday Morning Cheney's book does not present an accurate portrayal of those events. Of course, they did. And that he wishes her the best. (laughs) Sure he does. In that book, Cheney itemizes each turn with Johnson before January 6th. A lot of attention for a name she expected few of her readers to know, but she felt Johnson's sleight of hand was emblematic. Uh, Listen, this is the part. Sorry, I had to pause it there. He was not yet speaker. He was some backbencher that you and I had never heard of. But she saw the levers he was pulling from that backbench and said, this guy's dangerous and the shit he's doing, everybody needs to know about. She took up a lot of space in this book with a name that at the time she had no reason to believe anybody would know. But she thought he was dangerous enough. He did enough damage that everyone needed to know who he was. And here she is talking about the guy who is now Speaker of the House. Of Republicans who don't just go along with Trump's deceptions, but boost them. She had no idea she was writing about a future Speaker. No. The Speaker of the House is a collaborator to overthrow the last election. Absolutely. What happens if Mike Johnson's the Speaker on the 6th of January, 2025? He can't be. He can't you know, we're be. facing a situation with respect to the 2024 election uh, where it's an existential crisis uh, and we have to ensure that we don't have a situation where an election that might be thrown into the House of Representatives um, is overseen by a Republican majority. So you would prefer a Democratic majority? Uh, I believe very strongly in those principles and ideals that have defined the Republican Party. But the Republican Party of today has made a choice, and they haven't chosen you the think? Constitution. And so I do think it's uh, it presents a threat if the Republicans are in the majority in January 2025. Well, that's it's a threat. She hopes she can be clear enough about to break through the political numbness. Wow. So Liz Cheney, <clears throat> who, you know, is still enough of a Republican to, to, to not be able to answer the question. So you want to see the Republicans in, in charge, you know, after the next election. And she's like, well, Yeah, because this Republican Party, you want to see the Democrats in charge, sorry, the Democrats in charge the next election, because this Republican Party cannot be trusted to do anything, anything. And she is warning very spectacularly that Mike Johnson had better not be Speaker of the House Come January 6th of 2025, or we are all fucked and not in a good way. And this might be a good time to share this one last story with you. Um, And I did reach out to somebody for for an interview or a comment. Um, Let me just quickly look at my email to see if this professor has somehow responded to me. And... um. Oops, it does not appear to. Uh, No, no, no answer from him. Okay, so now let me share with you the story. Okay, so Muslim leaders from several swing states gathered in Dearborn, Michigan over the weekend to launch a national push against reelecting Joe Biden, citing his handling of the Israel-Hamas war. Muslim leaders in the U.S., have been pressuring Biden to call for a ceasefire in the conflict. Palestinian health officials in Hamas, uh, in Hamas-run Gaza, say Israeli strikes have killed 15,000 people since Hamas militants killed more than a thousand, more than that, uh, Israelis in an October 7th surprise attack and did a whole lot more damage to people who are still alive and others that they tried to kill and so many that they kidnapped, but sorry, I'm adding to it. The organizers of the U.S. campaign came from Michigan, Minnesota, Arizona, Wisconsin, Florida, Georgia, Nevada, and Pennsylvania. 
Biden narrowly, narrowly beat Trump there, blah, 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 blah. So the um, it turns out the story was in Politico and the uh, the the um, it was it was perpetrated, perpetrated. It was, I guess it was um, spearheaded by this one professor, Hassan Abdel Salam. Salam, who teaches sociology at the University of Minnesota. So I emailed the professor and asked him to come on the show and talk to me. And with that, we're out of time. And I'll let you know tomorrow if I ever hear back from him. Somehow, I don't think I will. Just saying. Here's the bottom line is, if they defeat Joe Biden, they will get Donald Trump. I don't care who they who they back. They could back Cornell West, Marianne Williamson, RFK Jr., you name it. It doesn't matter. If it's not Biden, it will be Trump. And if Trump is in, well, the new issue of the Atlantic magazine is all, all, every page of it, from what I understand, dedicated to what horrors will come upon us if Donald Trump gets in for a second term. He will never leave office. That's another thing Liz Cheney said. All right. More tomorrow um, when Will Bunch will be here. And I'm sure we'll, 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 we'll spar about something. We don't usually, but this time we will. All right. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to those of you who stuck around. I appreciate it. My dwindling viewers. I appreciate it. And I still wish you peace. Peace out, everyone.